0: Hello and welcome to the Good Growth podcast. On this episode I'm once again joined by not one but two guests and today's theme really delves into truly defining what a good customer experience looks like as well as the importance of joining up both the pre and post-purchase experience for customers and the business in turn helping businesses maximize a customer's lifetime value. So joining me is a director level customer expert, Cathy Reid, and Good Growth principal consultant, Joe Hyder. Welcome to you both.
1: Thank you very much.
0: You. Great to have you both on. Um, there's a reason we've got you both here. Well, firstly, you're both customer obsessed. <laughs> I know you've described yourselves as. Joe, can you tell us a little bit firstly about how you and Kathy know each other, how you've crossed paths?
1: Of course. So I was first introduced to Cathy when she was at Ann Summers um, through their search agency. And at the time, they were looking for some, some broad support in marketing. Cathy and the team had identified a gap in revenue at the time and so there was a very clear remit on working to fill that gap from the minute I met Kathy I realized that we spoke the same language different halves of the same language uh, but that we'd worked really well together and was was delighted to join her team so Anne Summers was our uh, interesting place of joining.
0: Yeah uh, Kathy you when you describe yourself as customer obsessed what does that mean in terms of how you've thought about the customer and approached your various roles in your career as well?
2: So interestingly, I I just formed this opinion um, recently because I kind of thought, well, what am I to the customer? And I think I got to the stage where I thought, well, I'm obsessed because actually every single part of the customer journey and the customer's pain point, I feel and I want to live and breathe. And I think that's what takes you from kind of understanding the customer and caring about the customer to actually being obsessed um and I think that in the roles that I've done, um, including my time in Ann Summers, I think customers always been a really big part of my career. Um and it's my career, I I only had customer in my title for uh, seven years ago, my first role. But actually, all my roles have been centred around customer and people, starting from in the retail sector on the shop floor, right to head office support roles. So really, interesting. I think my customer obsession comes from being a customer, spending time with a customer on the shop floor, and then when you get into the digital and the e-commerce space, it's about understanding and, and seeing feedback data analytics that tell you where the customer is either having a great time or they're having some pain so I think that leads to that customer obsession
0: absolutely and you've just touched on a little bit there of your background and the, the job types you've had you've worked across a few different well-known brands Have there been some similarities in the challenges you faced across those brands?
2: yes I would I would say when I moved into customer leadership roles, I think it moves you away from kind of channel customer issues to more broader, holistic business ones. And thinking about, in a previous role, it was about putting the customer at the heart of the business. And really, what did that mean? Like, that's a great strategic ambition. But in reality, what do you have to do? And I think in in most of the roles, you know, changing uh, culture and mindsets to make sure you move from a cost to serve customer model, to really thinking about this customer lifetime value and what would happen if customers had great interactions every day with your brand. Um, and also I think what runs through all of them is I think they start off with recognizing a challenge in customer service. So they hear from customers through feedback and from social where the customers are not having a great experience. And the rules kind of start it there and then they kind of scale into, okay. so if customer service is now operating really well, why have we still got issues and what does that mean? And I think that's moved my roles on from customer service to really thinking more broader and more customer experience.
0: There's a a key difference there, Um, and I think you've explained that quite nicely. In your more recent roles, though, you've focused more on the post-purchase experience. What does that broadly entail?
2: Well, I think, as everyone, you talked about us being a digital and e-commerce expert, and I'm delighted to be put (laughs) in that category, having spent most of my life in um, store um, and bricks. But I think in the digital shift that we've seen, the seismic shift, Uh, to online sales in 2021 through the pandemic it really has brought bot to the forefront post purchase and because there was natural challenges to the pandemic it's an easy place to start because it's a real obvious pain point and where you can get data and analytics to say what's happening in that customer journey um so i think for me Looking at post-purchase, what I'm not talking about is just customer service. I'm talking about all the things in that post-purchase journey. So from the communication, from I've had my order confirmed to have it delivered, to thinking what is the right delivery proposition and promise for the customer. Um, And also returns. I think that's been probably one of the biggest challenges, because while people were so focused and outbound in getting a delivery to your customer, I think the returns element become that lesser part of the operation. Um, And I've seen uh, that being a particular place where I've spent a lot of time looking at returns journeys, how to have Um, the right experience and and create the right journeys for the customer and then looking at the review feedback cycle and then into customer service so I think for me you know I very much see customer service just at the end of that post-purchase journey um, and it is for some um, a key part of the journey but for others hopefully because the other elements of the customer experience have been well thought out and delivered then there's no need to contact customer service
0: yeah there's some pretty important aspects you touch on there it sounds like really it's just about giving the customer confidence to purchase with you again uh, and that post-purchase experience uh there's sort of various elements in there where you can inject that confidence as you. I think you're touching on there, sort of the returns experience with the, with how you communicate them, say, via email or, or SMS or whatever afterwards. Would you go along with that?
2: Yes, I think that um, confidence is one. I think convenience and speed are others. And I think customers' expectations are they almost feel when they go into a purchase that they should be confident to make that sale. The post-purchase bit is to try to exceed that customer's expectations or to add some value into that journey. And I think if you just see post-purchase as transactional, so I will ensure somebody's communicated, I will ensure we answer on time, I will give a response that resolves a customer But if you then say, well, I'm going to inject a bit of brand personality, I'm going to um, inject some surprise and delight into that post-purchase, that's where you start to add real value. And I think that, you know, people can look at post-purchase and see it as a kind of customer operational type role. But what I think you should really be doing is just see it as an extension or a key part of that customer journey. Um, And really all the journeys are what makes up that customer's interaction with you and really takes it from a great experience um, or a good experience to a great experience. So I think that to your point, post-purchase is important, but if if it's just transactional, then if you get it wrong, that's a big problem. Whereas if you're injecting more things in your post-purchase journey, then I think you get a little bit of opportunity to get it wrong and to put it right
0: yeah um joe actually i want to bring uh, you in now if that's all right because i want to talk a bit about obviously your customer background but also your brand experience and so from the brand's perspective kathy uh, touched on it slightly there with this sort of surprise and delight elements how can from a brand perspective you add and improve that customer experience and, and why is it important to have that synergy between teams across the business to help develop such a great customer experience
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, I tend to view brands as a product or a service with a layer of magic wrapped around them, ultimately. And it's the magic that makes the difference. It's the magic that makes the value. Um, It's the magic that's been built up over years and years of storytelling and building stellar reputation through everything that you do. And so as a brand, every, every touch point that you have, however insignificant it seems, It's a chance that customers have got to interact with you. It's a chance that you've got to reinforce who you are as a brand, what you stand for, your values, your purpose, that sort of thing. And as Cathy said, to surprise and delight a little bit. Um, And that might be through brilliant packaging. It might be through customer experience. It's almost endless. But almost the smaller, the least significant, it appears, the almost the bigger the opportunity to surprise, I think, in some ways. Um, And it's about how do you make somebody feel? So how do they feel when they visit your store? But how do you replicate that feeling online? Um, how can you demonstrate your personality? You're going to have to work much harder online to demonstrate personality um, and to, to get your brand voice across um, and how you go about doing that consistently, which is a real challenge. Um, and it's often an area that's that's forgotten because it does kind of fall into that sort of transactional Uh, sort of service area in some aspects and the brands that do it right can have huge advantage here and really drive commitment and advocacy um, which have got huge value Um, and I think it's a chance to demonstrate humanity to be a bit more human Um, sharing an infectious energy around something at a point in time when normally interaction is a bit more transactional so in my mind it's a chance to sprinkle a little bit of that magic that changes a product from being a product into a brand.
0: Yeah, that, uh, that completely makes sense. And Kathy, what would you uh, say like the joining up then of the of an end to end customer experience looks like in order to essentially have this great promote this great message, say from the, the minute a customer finds out about it to that that post purchase experience that you talked about earlier.
2: I suppose for me, it's important to understand and I don't want to use just marketing language, but the key moments that are going to make the difference in the journey. So from I first interact with your brand, maybe in social, what metrics or what do we want to be evaluating at that stage to the fact that is an easy check experience going to make the difference? And I think if if a business can say, okay, I've got six or seven moments of truth, that gives you real opportunity to... review them through the lens of a customer and what's a happy and unhappy path and that starts to then um, understand where maybe there's pain points but where there's opportunities to surprise, delight or over deliver to improve that customer experience. Um, So I would say here uh, to Joe's point, it doesn't always have to be about the additional. It can just be exceeding some expectations. But you really need to know where you think you'll add value, or else you could just spend your time mapping every single journey across every single interaction across every single customer segment, and you just get yourself really tied up. So I take a very pragmatic view, and the first bit is understand what the pain points are and try to deliver quickly against the big ones so you can make maximum impact then think about more holistically that customer journey map it through your best customer's eyes and then try to make that journey as engaging and bringing the brand to life as possible so that's my kind of stance on it.
0: Yeah, so I guess developing a consistency of experience for the customer throughout the journey is sort of what I'm hearing here. So they get the same perception and, I guess, warmth from the brand throughout rather than having spikes and then periods of in a certain area the experience isn't quite as well developed. And so they don't quite see the value from that.
2: Yes, what you don't want to, and what I try to see is you don't want to over-promise and underdeliver. <laughs> so I, t- I try to tend to start to, well, what are they? absolute what I almost term the hygiene factors Where you get it wrong it's just not good enough because you can have a really great experience or a surprise at the end but if fundamentally you haven't communicated when the deliveries come out that's a problem so you kind of have to split your strategies into saying okay is there some you know basic hygiene factors that we're not delivering upon and then you can layer on if you if you stick to and get excited about exceeding surprise and delight, and using all the buzzwords, you'll probably miss the basics, which is actually people just want to trust that if I make a purchase, I'm going to get it. They want to be, you start it off by saying, Dan, they want to be confident that they've made the right choice. So it's it's using that kind of language and the stuff that isn't probably as um, exciting, but mm. actually makes the bolts of just a really good experience with the business Um, and then you can really start to target and think to joe's point about well the brand the purpose the values how can we describe that through the journey you know so whatever is important to you that you can see that value throughout your journey but to me you just start at the beginning and just assess the business through the eyes of a customer and how their experience is
0: Touching upon here the sort of elements of the customer experience, part of that is sort of front-loading and acquiring new customers. But in your experience, Cathy, how really sustainable is it for businesses just to be focused at the top of the funnel and acquiring new customers to drive growth?
2: I think it would be fair to say sustainable businesses can't just continue to acquire because the cost to serve naturally increases every year, whether that from um, a Google um, search perspective or just a cost to serve through deliveries and refunds. So for me, it is all about, I think you should start with customer lifetime first and work backwards so that you know what would a customer be thinking, feeling, doing if they were advocates, if they were people who would go to you first if they had something to purchase. And I think you have to start there to really be sustainable, because if not, your strategies are short-termist. They're probably very trading focused. You would imagine they're sending more emails probably than they should. They'll not be thinking about personalization, they'll not be thinking about, you know, I want this customer to three to five years, what would that look like? So there is a difference. And when you talk about growth, there is different stages of a business growing. And at the start, if you are an unknown brand, you have to acquire and, and you have to do that at volume. But I think if you know that that's your um strategic growth requirement you need some uh, right behind it a strategy for lifetime value and I think that that should be from day one because then you'll be building and defining your customer experience or brand experience through the lens of an advocate and that is a different experience to someone who's just going to try you because the price is right or the delivery is right it's that building um somebody said to me is about building fans not customers and those that have fans are the most profitable businesses and i think that's what joe touched about when she talks about that advocacy piece so i and i really believe that is central to moving you from a one-time purchaser to someone who purchased multiple times
0: uh yeah that's a great point um, and and Joe, if you don't mind, I'm going to put you on the spot with this one slightly as well. But as Cathy's touched on it, what, what are really the drivers behind building customer lifetime value? It, se- it seems like advocacy is certainly a big one and, and having, like, say fans of your brand.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, as Cathy said there, it is about exceeding expectations from the very start. If if you start with the end in mind of, I'm going to serve you for the, your entire life or as much of your life as, you know, the product, in, in question is relevant for and work back from there, then you're starting to think about things all the way through the funnel and background, because it's not just about how do I acquire you and serve you? It's about what can I do afterwards? So if you take, I don't know, a consideration product, I don't know, Let's take a bike, at the time you've bought a bike, I know where you live, and I know that you like cycling. So, you know, once the bike's been delivered, and it's in your hands, there's a great opportunity to follow up to say, How are you getting on? Here are some cycle riders that are near you. We know where you live, but it's not expected. And I think that's the point is um, if you do something that goes beyond just serving, that's the kind of thing that you're going to share with your friends. That's the kind of thing that's going to make you recommend that brand in the future. It might make you come back around the circle when you're ready to buy again. So it's about being the best friend almost that you can be. Um, to your customer, rather than just a, a sort of servant mentality. Um, yeah, I think that's probably Kathy, how I would describe it.
0: Yeah, no, Cathy, uh, would you echo that? Or anything you'd add, add as well?
2: Do you know what? I I totally agree with Jo. I think that's the, um, the absolute differentiator. You will make different decisions if you think about somebody through a life cycle that they're going to be with you and they're going to shop multiple times. And I think if you start there, you can start to be a bit creative in how you communicate. So you go from, I want to sell you stuff. Um, In Joe's example, I want to sell you another bike to, I'm going to help you use that bike better. So that when I'm ready as a consumer, I will think about that brand. If you try to sell them the bike, they'll go, I've just had a bike. I don't need another one. I'm going to unsubscribe. So it's really about being clever about understanding your customer and we haven't talked a lot about that through um, this podcast but to to me it's invaluable and I don't think you get there day one I think you if, if you're in a brand that's been around for a while you might have to revisit who they are but they are key you know who they are if you think about well what makes your best customers best what are they doing then what you're trying to do is get other people to emulate that behavior. And I think, you know, the bike example is a great one because you're not gonna buy multiple bikes, but you want to make sure maybe I'll have a, you know, nephew wants a bike, I'm gonna think about that brand. So it's about taking, um, I think, once you've made a purchase, not trying to sell your stuff, but to try to give you content and a reason to engage that isn't just about a purchase. Superbly
0: better, I think, by the way, for you there. Um... Joe, I just want to come to you on your work in sort of evolving the post-purchase customer experience, perhaps at Amazon, but also across any other of the brands that you've worked at. Uh, what kind of things do you? So what kind of things do you explore to help evolve the post-purchase experience, and and, and why? You know, what's the purpose of, of doing that?
1: So, so not necessarily just post-purchase, but um, I think it's about understanding why you're doing something. What's the purpose of your brand? Why do you exist? Um, and if you can understand that, then it'll determine your behaviors and as Kathy sort of said it it makes you make different decisions because on the surface they may not appear to be the obvious commercial decisions but in the long run they probably will be the right commercial decisions and so it's about thinking that all the way through and the post-purchase piece is really interesting because I think it is such a big opportunity space because you can create future occasions and it kind of works whether or not it's a really considered purchase like the bike example I used. Um, But if I think about FMCG, I think back to my time working in Unilever, you know, I don't know, let's take mayonnaise. Uh, It's a fairly straightforward condiment. You would think it's not that considered a purchase. So what could we do to try and drive engagement and sales well then it might be about kind of really interesting usage ideas so it might be recipes it might be something that gets a community involved you've already bought the product this is just about keeping you involved it's about making you feel positive it's a halo effect the loops all the way back around it brings you back into the purchase cycle but hopefully it brings a few others with you Um, and I think that's the magic of it all is that actually if you get it right the the circle, the virtuous circle, starts to spin with a little bit more velocity.
0: Mm. I I really like the sort of points you both have articulated around the customer here. There's a lot for saying about thinking about the customer experience more holistically, thinking more strategically about how you build customer lifetime value and the things you can do along the way of a customer experience to really sort of surprise, delight, and make you and your brand memorable to the customer. Um, Kathy, if you don't mind, I want to come to you with one final question around your leadership roles. Um, I've read that you like to develop a culture that's centred around employee engagement empowerment. We've had quite a lot of, sort of leaders, business leaders on the podcast as well. It's a question I ask quite often. So can you give us an example of what, for you, what that looks like and the kind of results you've seen by facilitating this employee engagement and uh, feeling of empowerment within the business?
2: Yes, no problem. So I think for me, I talked very early on about, for me, it's about customer and people. So there's the customers, the people who uh, you serve and ultimately pay your wages, but it's the people within your business who are more day-to-day serving them customers or serving the needs of them customers. And I think if you think people first, they'll put your customers first. Um, And when I go into roles, there's obviously the customer element because that's the expertise that I bring. But I've always worked closely with um, the people team to make sure that there's a people strategy that runs alongside a customer strategy. Um, And one of the things I've been doing in in my last three roles is bringing in really an advisor voice so that when I join, I recognize that I am not the expert on what the customer is experienced day in day out. And I have brought in something in, in all business, is walking our customer shoes and trying to get the advisors to feel what it's like for a customer. But then to have a forum to be able to tell, tell us what's not working. Um, and when you bring that in and then you fix some of it instantly and you can say, you told it, you said, and we did. I think it's really powerful. And what I find there is you get... Um, really good sentiment from a um how they feel they understand the culture you're trying to evolve which is we're always listening and we're always trying to improve but also it looks at retention because they think "Well, i'm being listened to and i can see the difference it makes and ultimately you know if they're a happy workforce then the quality of their work will be better so i've got a number of things i do but i think that's the one that, that i would bring to the fore and say you know, my role isn't just about voice of the customer, is that who can be that voice and how does that make it both special for the customer getting what they need, but also the advisors feeling more engaged and more empowered that they are listened to.
0: Brilliant, fantastically summarised. Thank you, Cathy. Um And Joe, Kathy, brilliant to have you on the podcast. Great to get your views. You definitely are experts in your field. I appreciate your modesty despite that. But um, no, it's been brilliant to have you on. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks, Dan.
2: Thanks, Dan.